All right, everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am joined with Allison Free. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. I, uh, Allison and I have been friends for many, many, many years, and uh, when Natureversity was kind of first getting started a long time ago, we were based out of San Antonio, and Allison and I did an overnight summer camp together. And that was a, so much fun, Allison. I and remember that vividly. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think it was like your first stint into survival skills hardcore. I think what happened was we had a teacher who dropped at the last moment. And I was like, I know Allison can do this. So we brought you on. What was that like? Wow, well, wasn't that the hunter-gatherer weekend where yes. we weren't allowed to eat anything? And, and then we, uh, we yeah. finally ate that beautiful duck. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that memory really sticks with me, especially to, to that was a, my first time to ever see an animal slaughtered in front of my own eyes. Yeah. And that's something that sticks with you. Yeah. Definitely. We want <clears throat> just to hear the word slaughtered, uh, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, we say harvested, but obviously words, they don't really matter. You know what's happening to the duck. But at the same time, I want people to experience that because I think it's real. Like, we have got to understand that as a human and as an animal, truly, you know, death has to occur for life to continue. And that's mm-hmm. the circle of life Lion King story that we all learned at six. But everybody's got a problem with it now when they grow up. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. So we mm-hmm. teach it, but we're not out there actively killing animals uh, with the kids. We did that at the adult class, the duck, didn't we? That wasn't with the kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. That was was a different adult weekend. That was the core basic with the human path. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but you, I remember, we, and yeah, we got camouflaged up in that. We did a lot of fun stuff. If y'all are wanting to still do that, it still exists. You can go to uh, Herbal Medics Academy. I think they're still doing their core basic down there in San Antonio. It's a lot of fun. You get to get wild and learn a lot of primitive skills. But yeah, that weekend we camped with the kids. I think we only had like five or six kids camping with us. But the I remember the night we made dessert mm. remember we had like peach? The pineapple upside down yes cake. that's what yes. it was i was gonna say peach but i well, you're right pineapple. i remember because that was the best pineapple upside down cake i've ever had and over it amazed fire. me that it was just over a fire and i think you had just like four or five ingredients and you whipped it up like so skillfully yeah uh, that was that was really cool so i want people to hear uh about you and what it is because i really think that what you do in life is neat. It's it's fascinating and just tell people about yourself. So who are you, Allison? Take it away. <laughs> okay. Well, I am a determined free-spirited woman living authentically and courageously. Woo! Wow. That was just can we shut the podcast down now? <laughs> That's it. That was beautiful. You know, that that took a long time for me to actually come up with a a statement of who I am. Yeah. I encourage people to try to do that, but it is a weird question. It is. Who Who am I? Let me put myself in this box. Can I really describe myself with words? Mm -hmm. Try. Yeah, that's a good now. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, uh, beyond that, I am born in Austin, Texas, Austin, Texas native. I've been traveling around. I've done lots of traveling around the country, settled in Portland, Oregon for the last year. Uh, decidedly, that's not the climate for me. <laughs> yeah. When you say climate, what do you mean by that? Like the actual climate, the raininess and yes. the weather? Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, I didn't realize how important that was to me, but uh, for mental well-being, I definitely need some more sunshine yeah. than that place offers. It's tough to live up there, too. I 
had a, a few <clears throat> stints up there myself, and it was it wasn't rainy all the time, but there was n- it was always cloudy, mm-hmm. and I just was like, man, the sun, I need the sun, because I was born in Texas too, yeah. so I'm like raised on the beaches and all that. What was um? So you're born in Austin, and what was growing up like? Was it any time outside and goofiness and playfulness? What was it like? Yeah, definitely. I was definitely one of the kids that was outside on their bike, riding around with my sister. Uh, We didn't have any woods nearby the house I was at growing up, but at my grandma's house in New Braunfels, there was Mm. woods behind her house, and I remember always going out to play with my sister, and I'm always watching out for the rattlesnakes that my parents warned me about. Never saw any, but I did find some bees. (laughs) Um, But I really enjoyed spending time outside. That was before... Um, technology was a big thing then, yeah, you know, so for all of us, yeah, exactly. when you say you got on your bike and you would ride around, were you one of those kids who'd ride like miles and miles away from your house and just go on adventures or were you just riding around the streets? Cause I know there's like two types of two types of people who grew up there. Like, man, we went on adventures. Like I was one of those ones that ride for miles and just like, maybe I might be lost. <laughs> We'd always find our way back though. Yeah, no, I think I mostly just stayed around the neighborhood. Yeah. And I was, I was a kind of a worry wart as a kid. Uh, I always kind of thought that bad things were going to happen. Oh, okay. I got out of that at some point. Now I'm kind of the opposite where I'm quite the risk taker these days. Uh, But as a kid, yeah, I was definitely a little more concerned with uh, with safety. Sure. (laughs) I mean, we all, uh, I think it's instilled in us from our parents, right? We see the cultural shifts that take place and... I, uh, we have this day at Natureversity where we bring grandparents and parents out and we have the grandparents tell their stories to the kids. And it's like, well, what were you doing when you were playing? And the stories just blow the kids' mind. They're like, what? You just would like ride out with a rifle and a knife on your <laughs> belt and like have your, and they, and they were like, yeah, like it was just, we would go hunting at night sometimes and we would do this during the day. And we, you know, I was like, see, and I'm not saying that like kids should be toting guns or anything. I'm, what I'm saying is like, it was just a different culture growing up because there was such a, I think, uh, hmm, focus on respect for things and people and land. And I don't think that, I, I think, I think because the lack of, let's say it's nature deficit disorder, I think because of that, it doesn't create empathy in people. So the lack of connection doesn't create that empathy to have that respect in the first place. So, mm-hmm. so you growing up, um, you're riding your bike around and things like that. What, what, what did, what was, um, when was the moment in your youngster years where you were like, maybe nature is pretty cool and not that scary or was it? It's it's scary, and then it wasn't until after high school or college or when 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 did nature become a this is this is super breeding like I mean I you know sorry <laughs> just like breeding something inside me that is really transpiring into a thought that is I'm going to help the world I'm going to make potentially money from this I'm really good at this I have a passion for this basically like your icky guy like when did you find your little icky guy. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, it never became conscious to me of my love of nature. Um, And perhaps that kind of evolved as I got older. Uh, When I got into high school, there was definitely a lot of smoking weed in the woods. Yeah. (laughs) So that kind of made me exposed to the outdoors more. Sure. But I still, at that point, I don't think it was something that I was really very aware of, of why I like to be outside. It wasn't until I can actually pinpoint 
uh, specific time in my life where I really began to think about a future uh, with nature and with a career. And that was when I took a native plants course at ACC, Austin Mm. Community College. And that class was completely revolved around taxonomy. So identifying the native woody species of the area. And more than half of the class times, we were outside at a different local park. And we had this uh, field guide that had these kind of clues that you would go through. It's like, are the leaves compound or simple? Oh. Or, and it was like a You were like keying out a plant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And okay. it was so fun. Um, and actually, when I had got into that class, I was taking trigonometry for, I think, the third time. <laughs> there was problems with the professor. It wasn't me, okay? Sure. Um, but... There was like a schedule conflict between my native plants course and my trigonometry class. And I really needed the trig class, but I loved the native plants class so much. I was like, I got to drop trig. Like, yep. This is it. <laughs> that was the moment. Yeah, it really was. What did you do? Do you still have that journal that with all those plants and mm-hmm. everything in it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually you- wanting to go out again because um, coming back to Austin now that I've been gone for about five years, um, I've been going on lots of hikes and it's like, Seeing old friends, yeah. you know, all oh, of, yeah. all of these plants that, yeah. that I had forgotten, you know, like the Texas persimmons. I was just eating mm. those yesterday and thinking about um, eating them out on the land with you. Yeah. Um, and you were the one who showed me, I think, about those delicious edible <laughs> fruits. Yeah. I always paint my face with them. Yeah. And the kids play, they call it uh, <laughs> ghoul teeth. So they oh, put yeah. them all in their teeth because it turns your teeth black and yep. yellow and weird colors. And they're like, <laughs> it's fun. I love that plant. <clears throat> I think that <clears throat> that plant, it's part of the ebony family. So it's wood is like this really heavy, heavy, dense wood. Oh. And in fact, in Goliad State Park, there is one in the center of their little courtyard there of the state park that that thing is like, it's like the, th- I don't know, the diameter of like a normal oak. So normally wow. you see those persimmons and they're like, what, yeah. two inches around in diameter. This thing is a rival and just massive tree. And if you ever want to go wow. see one of the most beautiful persimmons in Texas, go to the Goliad State Park. Um, but yeah, the, the, I just I could talk about all day about persimmons because it's <laughs> so cool. They're such a neat plant. When they're, when they're green, those berries stain wood in such a unique way. And then it kind of slowly gets from yellow to orange to this brown. And the kids go home with this stain and it doesn't come off for days. And the uh-huh. parents are like, what is the deal? I'm like, ah, they were just playing with persimmon berries. But um, yeah, native plant classes. So what did you do with that? What, what was after native plant classes? Mm. I recall doing a lot of research, like actually getting books about uh, careers that have to do with plants. Because at that point, I had no idea. I was looking at uh, garden design or landscape design, because that kind of has a little artistic aspect of it. Um, And just different fields of botany. And at a point, I really became drawn to trees specifically. Mm. There was just something about trees that I couldn't quite put my finger on that spoke to me and was pulling me. And not just the trees themselves, but their branches, their canopy. It really just spoke to me. There was, there was times um, when I would be going on hikes at different national parks that I would take a moment to look up. You know, a lot of folks never look up, but there's so much beauty up there. And I would become overwhelmed with emotion that I couldn't explain. And I just, like, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it because there's there's just something. And I just was trying to figure it out. So I ended up going to school, to Texas A&M, uh, to study, eventually I wanted to study rainforest canopy ecology. But I got a bioenvironmental science degree there, uh, planning on moving on 
but some I had some experiences that kind of turned me away from academia. Mm. In college. Yeah. You know, it's funny is a lot of people don't know what the study of trees is called. You know what it's called? Arboriculture? Uh, we call it dendrology. dendrology. Dendrology, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're okay. like, what is a dendrologist? I'm like, oh, somebody <laughs> who studies trees. Because yeah. <laughs> we always say, what is this? You know, we there's a podcast actually. It's called Ologies. And yeah, there's yeah. all these fun like things. I think they did one on dendrologists one time. And I thought oh, that was cool. a cool topic. But yeah. I was I wanted to bring you on for th- for this specific reason that you're talking about, which is the trees and yeah, your connection to them and how they spoke to you and you've gone on to this journey. So you're in ACC, you're when did you depart Austin? Like what were you mm-hmm. doing right at what, what what got the fire lit underneath you to say, I'm gonna take off, I'm gonna go to did you say A and M? Yeah, um, I actually, from Austin, throughout my life, I've, well, older life, (laughs) um, past 20 or so, I've felt these pulls to experience the world and to travel um, on my own terms as well. And I guess that was kind of soul searching, I guess you could say, of just trying to figure out my passions and my direction. And that was very um, beneficial for me to figure out yeah, what I what I wanted out of life and what I could give to life. Um, but it was 20, hmm, 2017 when I hit the road for a road trip with no, for sure, uh, destination or end time. Mm-hmm. And I was on the road for nine months and went around all four corners of the country visiting as many national parks as I could. Uh, that was a great success and definitely the most uh, transformative nine months of my life, without a doubt. Um, but after that, when I came back, I was so just inspired to begin this path of forest canopy ecology. So that's when I transferred to Texas A&M and was living in College Station for two and a half years. Um, during that time, I also went to Panama for a month where I did a study program that was actually called Rainforest Canopy Ecology. Yeah, tell us about that. And that was the experience that actually, in the end, turned me away from academia. Mm-hmm. Uh, simultaneously with the ecology class that I was in, there was a canopy access techniques course, which was primarily focused on the actual climbing. Yeah. And so <laughs> while I did a little bit of climbing while I was there, most of my time spent there in the program was writing papers and doing book work and research. Yeah. And I was watching this other group of people just out climbing every day. And I just wanted to do what they were doing. And I, upon some reflection of what the life of um, an academic actually looks like, and the reality is that it is pretty, a lot of it is, writing papers and and grants and the level of specificity that you have to attain of the things that you write about, very small. And it doesn't reach very many people. And I felt that the impact that I'm supposed to have on the world, I want to touch many people, not just the select few who are able to comprehend the papers that I write. So from that, I kind of pivoted a little bit. That's, man, that's... uh that's a good perspective to have like, oh, wow, this, you know, the gifts that I have and the outlets that I'm choosing to put those gifts into like are not getting the rewards that I want, mm-hmm. you know? So, and so many people, right. That's what we talk about with American culture, like the American dream, like they just get in to these jobs and you know that they hate them. Yeah. So I'm just want to say, I'm really proud of you for being able to acknowledge that and have an awareness around 
this is not serving my needs and I want mm-hmm. to be out there playing and climbing. And so that's what you did is, is like, is that what you did? You like walk up to your professor and you're like, I'm thinking about this scene on like King of the Hill where Bobby's like, I don't want to play football. I want to play that <laughs> soccer game over there. And then the, the <laughs> coach like throws a football at his head. And I'm thinking about you being like, I don't want to write these stupid papers. Like I want to go climb that tree and, that's that's Allison that I knew, mm-hmm. right? Like, on that I know, I should say. I know. Like, before you left, I was like, man, this she would never sell her soul for Mm-mm. this type of stuff. So no. I'm glad to hear that story, that you went down that path, because you recognize this is not good. Yeah, there's been multiple paths that I've gone down that I travel down a ways, and then I look around, I'm like, mm, this isn't the path I thought it was. I'm going to turn around. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's, it's good to listen to that yeah, intuition. It's hard to decide to turn around, especially when you've committed a, um, you know, chunk of your life to going in that direction to be like, Oh wait, this isn't the right way. It's okay to turn around now because if you wait and you're mm. much further and then you turn around, you're, you're more um, at a disadvantage than if you would have just turned around when you had the thought initially. That sounds like a gambler talking, <laughs> right? You like yeah. bet so much. You like got to win it all back and just got to keep going. Just have sunk this much into it. And no. that's what happens to people. Like I know for a fact, I think that's, um, businesses, homes, relationships, yeah, you know, whatever it may be, we keep going down this path that we know is not serving us. And I'm, I'm happy to hear stories when people are like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so you go and you start getting like, what was it? What was it like? You started buying some tree climbing gear. Where did you go? Oh. Did you have a background in rock climbing at all? I had rock climbed a little bit. Um, yeah. I never had my own rock climbing gear, so it was always just that I knew somebody who had, you know, the harness and the shoes. And, yeah, and you um, just go up on and, the ropes. And yeah, and then they left, and I didn't have access to those uh, those pieces of equipment anymore. So uh, yeah, a little bit of rock climbing, but there's very important ways in which tree climbing and rock climbing are completely different. Ooh, tell us. Um, well, for instance, just the gear that you use. Uh, the rope that you would use for climbing on a rock wall, it needs to be able to withstand falls. You know, somebody falls off the rock, so it has to be, um, you know, stressed in that way and still be able to be used. But if you were to have fall on a tree climbing rope, the integrity of the rope would be lost. So it's more of a static rope as opposed to a dynamic rope, ah, if that makes sense. No, 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 that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so okay. different ropes, um, different harnesses in tree climbing we call them saddles because they're meant to hold your whole body weight suspended in the air for longer periods of time because you might not be on a branch or a limb and depending on if you're doing uh, tree work you don't want to be putting weight on different limbs Um, so it needs to hold your whole weight and if you were just hanging in a tree climbing or a uh, pardon me a rock climbing harness for more than a minute, it would start cutting off the circulation in your legs. Yeah. You're not supposed to hang out in those things. Right. It hurts. Yeah. I've been in one many a times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so th- uh, that leads me to a question. Like when you, so people who climb trees, there's got to be a lot of reasons you're climbing them. So there you spoke about cutting branches. Um, what other things do you do up there? Well... Uh, my mentor, Tim Kovar, who I learned to tree climb from um, in Oregon City, Oregon, he always spoke about tree climbing being a place to be rather than a thing to do. Ooh, and I, I just, like that. yes, I love that as well. Um, so if you have, there's kind of these, this like dichotomy of 
the tree climbing industry for tree work and then the recreational tree climbing, which there's kind of completely different schools of thoughts because you have one that's actually cutting down trees um, and might not have very much regard for, um, you know, knocking leaves off the trees and stuff like that. It's a little more rough and tough or you have the recreational tree climbing, which is much more um, you know, considerate of the trees I've, I've experienced. So and you think that the people who are supposedly tending the trees are being more careless? In my experience, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. it's just about getting the job done, and they're not really up there listening to the birds. And wow. um, it would, you know, it, it, that shocks me because I would think that people, but it doesn't in a way, because I think about hunters and their ethics, right? Mm-hmm. Some hunters are just, you know, others are like very conservationalist hunters. So when you talk to them, you get a whole different experience from your local Joe down the road who just pops deer in his backyard, you know? So I get that. It makes a lot of sense that climbers of these trees would acknowledge, you know, the presence and the living being that they're climbing and have respect and honor for that creature while climbing it. So that makes sense. And when they go up there, um, well, first of all, I have a question for you. What, what's the biggest tree you've ever climbed? Ooh, I had the opportunity to climb a redwood. Um, I'm not sure exactly how high we were. It was at least 200 feet, and we wow. we didn't make it all the way to the top of the tree. Jeez! But anyone who's seen the redwoods oh, knows yeah. that it's so hard to fully appreciate just how tall they are because their canopies disappear. Yeah. You know, you can't really see the top of the tree. Maybe from afar, if you've got a um, not bunch of trees in the way, but to actually have to pull your body weight up the entire height of a redwood, you really get an understanding of just how high up there you are. Jeez. Uh, it's, it's an experience that not many people will get to have, so I feel very uh, very grateful that I was able to have that experience. 200 feet in the air. Yeah. 20 stories. Yeah. That's insane. On a living thing. Yeah, and the limbs up there are humongous. I mean, wow. you can just sit on one it's like a whole nother tree itself is a sequoia the same thing as a redwood they're very similar but they're different trees they're, they're different species mm-hmm. yeah and i I read somewhere one time that they can produce over a million cones mm. in a given year mm-hmm. is that true yeah wow. and um I a actually in babies that is yeah every year they um they're just trying to you know all of it just throw <laughs> it out there <laughs> and something will a million babies <laughs> Well, the chances of one of those seeds actually getting to the ground and having the right growing conditions to grow up to another full-size redwood, I mean, maybe one out of all of those. That's why they have to, you know, throw out so much. There's actually some people who get paid to collect the redwood cones from trees and bring them down and for, uh, for nurseries. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's a job. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You can just have all job. I, cause yeah, I was introduced to all this stuff when I was really getting into the tree climbing and I was thinking about, yeah, it'd be cool to just climb trees, collect cones and you know, you get paid by the bucket or something. Right. Just climb all day. That would be really cool. Have you ever slept up there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was that like? Oh, so amazing to wake up and be in the branches. Wow. Uh, you know, like you're Do you used have a hammock. Yeah, so okay. there's this special hammock called a tree boat, uh, made by a company called New Tribe, which I believe currently they're not making these tree boats anymore, just because I guess they weren't selling enough. It's a very sure. specific niche, right, of people wanting to sleep in trees. Um, but you know, you could also just hang out in the tree boat. But yeah, they're they're made for canopy 
chilling. That is cool. <laughs> and you really you have to know how to climb to really put one up. I was gonna say like what is it what does it entail to put one up? It's harder than the average hammock because you okay. have to be able to kind of traverse from limb to limb. If you're really trying to get it up there in you know amongst the branches, you have to be able to maneuver yourself around the tree. And of course, there's special skills that um, you have to know in order to move around the crown yeah. of a tree. And how big, you know, they say the roots of trees, I guess specific trees, certain, you know, like oaks, for instance, their roots expand out to the same distance as their branches. And mm-hmm. I is is that the same in redwoods and mm. firs and all that? Or do they have a, one of those large tap roots that just goes straight into the ground? I'm actually not sure what's happening underneath there, but yeah. that makes me curious to find out. Um, I feel like, I mean, redwoods are much taller than they are wide themselves in. Yeah, I know, but they are tough trees. I mean, they are built to withstand fire and, and wind and they're, yeah, they, they stand tall. Have you ever used any of their bark for fire making? Like, isn't their bark like tinder? Like, yeah, it's very peely, but I've never used it for fire making. Never used it for fire making. I Mm -hmm. bet it's really good. I bet it's good too. Um, and the cones themselves, like. I wonder, uh, I wonder if there, uh, let me uh, back up a second. Have you ever climbed a bald cypress tree? One of the big ones here? Oh, no, I haven't. No, they have some big ones that are like, I wouldn't say they're the size of sequoias or redwoods, but there's some mighty bald cypress trees along the Pedernales River and things like that. Um, What's that place called out in Wimberley? I forget. They have some mega bald cypresses out there, but those cones, when they hit the water, uh, sometimes they'll like hit the base of the tree before they hit the water and they release this oil and the oil is really good for, you know, different antiseptic and anti, um, what is it? My antimicrobial, I might be making this up, (laughs) uh, but it's good for wounds and it's actually sticky. So a lot of times when the kids get like little nicks and scrapes and that trees nearby, I walk over there and I get one of those green cones and I pop it open and I just like put some of that oil, orange oil on there. And they're like, what is this? I'm like, it's nature's bandaid, but it also has like the neosporin in it too. (laughs) The kids are like, what? So I'm curious because I haven't spent extensive time up where the Oregon, Washington, I've, you know, been up there, but um, I'm curious about the, if you've ever used those trees as far as like the leaves for anything medicinally did you ever make a tea out of them can you make a tea out of them have you ever used the cones for anything i'm curious redwoods yeah or sequoias or any of the trees Mm. that you've been climbing it's something that i'm definitely interested in i know later we'll talk a little bit about forest therapy which i've become certified in um but tea making for the final we call a tea ceremony that's part of the practice of forest therapy Uh, It's best to use plants from the area in which you're guiding. So that's something that I've wanted to learn more about, but I personally have not used the, uh, the cones or, or leaves for making anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. So yeah, the tree climbing to me, I think is a thing that a lot of parents are hesitant on because of the risks that are involved. So I'm curious about the risks in this, industry of professional tree climbing or even as a sport like what are the what are the mortality rates do you know like is there is there a lot of you know injuries or deaths or is it pretty safe it is extremely safe there is this technique that we use to to get folks into the trees that it's just knots uh so there's no you know you don't have to 
figure out how to work this piece of equipment. Um, we have, there's this thing called the magic knot, which it'll go up easily, but then it clamps onto the rope and it doesn't allow you to come down. Um, so we're able to take kids into the trees, no problem. There's lots of, um, people with special needs, there's different tools that you can use to make it much easier for the ascent. Uh, and you don't even tell them how to descend until, you know, they're ready to come down. Cause if they know, you know, they don't want them pulling a fast move there, Right. but, um, it's, it's very safe. My mentor was teaching people how to climb trees for gosh, like 30 years wow. and never had a serious accident. Yeah. That's so, I mean, every hear. now and then you get a little bit of hair stuck in the knot, maybe, and sure. <laughs> you got to prevent that, maybe the beard, so you might have an ugly haircut or two, but... <laughs> when um, kids at Natureversity climb trees, you know, we always say, like, double your height, you know, because statistically speaking, when you fall from a tree, I guess it compounds the amount of force, you know, and could potentially lead to breaks. A lot of kids try to catch themselves, so that it's like the clavicle. Mm -hmm right here gets mm -hmm. broken your your uh, collarbone and then arms and things like that one time we were at uh <laughs> this is a couple of years ago poor you and we were at uh wildflower center mm. and we were doing the rope swings over there in those big giant mighty oaks and he just flipped out of that thing and it snapped his arm in two places his radius ulna and i was just like dang man so it's it's a real thing breaks happen when you get up into those trees, but I'm happy to hear that not a lot of accidents happen. So parents out there, be safe. You know, one one of the things maybe your teacher told you is, uh, I always tell the kids, three points of contact. Have mm. you ever heard that when you're climbing trees? Yeah, but um, I think it's important to point out that the tree climbing I'm talking about is with ropes and Gear. saddles, right? which is very different than free climbing a tree. Right. Um, I don't think you could free climb a sequoia or a redwood. No. There's in, no way. In fact, even getting into those, you need very special pieces yeah. of equipment. Like we have to use a crossbow to get um, basically it's kind of like a fishing line sure. up above a branch and then a thicker rope and then the climbing rope. Wow. And it's it can be pretty challenging to, to Just, hit the limb that you need. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. That's and some of, of those, some of those limbs are pretty high up there. Oh, yeah. I was in a place called Camp Lindblad in Northern California and I was sleeping and I hear this like and I was just like what the heck was that and it was one of those trees falling like wow. just maybe I don't know 100 yards from me and it fell I was down south of the camp and it, it was east of me and the next morning we all got up I was I was I poked my head out and I was I was actually in a hammock too so I poked my head out and I was like I waited for screams or something like uh, something. I was like, for injury. But I, yeah. I didn't hear anything. So I was like, I'm just going back to bed. Oh, man. <laughs> but and the then next, you went and checked out. Yeah, the, morning, the next morning we got to climb up on it. Oh, that's It cool. had fallen down and we climbed up on it and took some pictures. It was unbelievable. They were yeah, like, it was yeah, tree we, climbing. Um, it really was. So that's the kind of tree climbing you could climb a sequoia without exactly. rope and stuff. Get the very top of the tree. <laughs> without Check any... out the ecosystem while you're there. That's a good question. What ecosystems are up there? Okay, so very unique ecosystems. I had done this whole speech presentation during school about um, about canopy research and how that's actually the final frontier. Uh, we speak of the you know outer space. We know a lot about outer space. And even, oh, well, the deep sea, yeah, we know very little about that. But we know more about both of those two things than we know about the canopy 
ecology of the deep rainforests. That's true. People just haven't gone there. It's hard to access. Yes. There's tons of species that live up there and never come down, ever. But I would imagine that, like, drones and all that stuff would be, they would be, right? There's drones, but they can't get into the foliage. Like, once you go underneath the, you know, the upper canopy. You're not flying a drone You can't be flying a drone there. I mean, at least not any drones I know about. Wow. Um, So there's so much to be explored. In the that is that blows my mind to hear Seriously. you say that we have more wisdom about the outer space and the devotion than we do the canopies of these yeah. trees. That is so just weird. think about how many things are waiting to be discovered, like how much medicine and how many different species of animals and beetles. There's do you know if there's trees that are that like our sequoias and our redwoods? Are there those are those size of trees like all over the planet? Like are they all in like Russia and like China and like are there sizes or is that the biggest tree like in the world? I think redwoods are the tallest trees in the world. Um, and I think, yeah, the one of the redwoods in California has the um, the recognition of being the tallest tree in the world. But there's other tall trees, definitely. Wow, but the tallest tree in the world. Isn't it kept a secret? It's like a secret. Yes, it is. It's like a super. Yes. Have you seen it? I don't know. No. I could have. I'm not Maybe. knowingly. Right. Oh, you, but they've never like took you out of there on no. one of your things. I figured if anybody's going to get to see that tree, it would be college students. Uh, so that would be epic. Uh, I saw this picture in a magazine one time and it, you could unfold the picture and it just kept unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. And it, it was like a life-size photo of this tree and the people who were in it, I'm not kidding, they were the size of ants like on the page. But they were all in these different colors like yellow and red and blue and they're all up and down the tree and I was like, those are humans. When I showed that to the kids, they couldn't believe it. So just to put it into perspective, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. What do you want to okay, say? Okay, the moment you brought that up, I was like, oh my gosh. Because that, I have that fold out. I have, the, it's one of us a redwood, the other one's of a sequoia with all yeah. the little people. Yeah. And there was actually a point in my, uh, in my searching of figuring out what I wanted to do that I had that photo panoramic hanging on my wall. Oh, that's funny. And I was looking at it and I was like, wait, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Like, yes. I want to be those little people in that big tree. And so I went down to the bottom right of the fold out and uh, started looking for the names and I was Googling who these people are. And that's how I discovered that canopy ecology was even wow. a thing. It was because of that photo. So it's so bizarre that you just mentioned that right I, now. I was blown away by that photo and I was like, there's no way that yeah. this is real. Like those are, those are the people standing in the tree. Like I just didn't believe it. I was like, I've been up to these redwoods. I've seen them thing. I've seen these things like up close, but I never really like you said earlier. That blew my mind when you said people don't really understand how big they are until uh, once you get up in them to see them from mm. the ground. Like well, you're like perspectives five feet off the ground looking up. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't imagine. And we tried to climb those things like free climbing. Oh. It, one kid got up into one because one had fallen over and gave him like a ledge up and he was so high up there he was probably about 100 feet in the air and I was like I'm not climbing up there dude that's whoo but he was one of those free climbing rock guy you know for free climbers for rock climbing so I was like you know what you're doing but yeah I want now to research what kind of wildlife is up inside of those things I mean there's got to be you know, people like Paul Stamets and the mycelium that could maybe could be growing up there. I don't know, but lichens on branches and stuff. But yeah, I mean, they, they've found fish in trees, like little divots in the bark. Somehow there's been what? Yeah, they, they've found fish in trees. No, yes. like living. Yes, living <laughs> fish in the trees. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Um, yeah, that there's blows little my mind. You can find like miniature trees in the trees. 
No yeah. way. Um, like my mentor, Tim Kovar, was actually doing some filming with, I don't know if it was Discovery Channel wow. or something like that, um, about there was like a little oak tree living in a redwood tree, like on the branch. That blows my mind. In, in McKinney Falls, there is an oak that you can see a gigantic uh, prickly pear pa- uh, patch growing out of. So yeah, I, now uh, that you say that, I'm like, I actually have seen a tree growing out of a different tree before a plant growing out of a different plant. How the hell do you think a oak nut got way up there in that thing? Squirrel. Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say like yeah. the most common answer. Yeah. But that's, that, that is very fascinating. And so when you get up there, you're talking about how the ecology changes, but what, I, I don't know, what, have you ever had any like uh, bird encounters up there that are like, Man, or do they get close? Are they fidgety? Have you because you said you slept up there? Normally, when you mm-hmm. sleep in places, animals, the local wildlife, they start getting used to like what you're doing, and if you're not a threat, they get closer. Did you ever have any like wild bird encounters while you're up there? I want to know what birds live up that yeah. high. Well, I mean, I've I was only in that redwood once, and I didn't sleep up in the redwood, but I've slept in other trees, like oak trees are great because they've got lots of lots of. Uh, winding branches but um i think i don't know i haven't really seen crazy bird things but one time i was laying in my hammock and a hummingbird flew like right in front of my face and like was hovering right in front of me and it was just a blessing of a visit but no the birds will usually just move away from from you they're like what are these people doing in my tree yeah uh and they'll return if you're quiet enough but I haven't experienced them doing anything bizarre, yeah, noteworthy. I have seen some monkeys while I've been in the tree when I was in Panama. I was going to say, wait, monkeys in Oregon? No. <laughs> okay, Panama, that makes in sense. In Panama. Um, and yeah, they definitely are much more curious. And also it's a little bit more intimidating to have the monkeys eyeballing you. What kind of monkeys were they, do you know? Um, Gosh, I remember there was two main kinds of monkeys in Panama. One was howler monkeys, but they Oof. weren't howler monkeys. Those I definitely would have been fearful of. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll, rip, they'll rip your face off. Yeah. Yeah, howler monkeys are. Yeah, they are no joke. I I'm wearing a howler brothers shirt. Oh, what do you know? Howler brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Austin, Texas, baby. So, you, you know, what other uh, wild trees or I, I guess it's just those three places like Panama, Washington, California, Oregon, a couple of the, the northwest. Ever ever been up to the northeast? Done anything? I have, but not with tree climbing because I didn't really start tree climbing until I guess that was just last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really into that when I was going up the northeast. Um, but, yeah, I have visited that part in what, a while. What parts have you visited? Well, shoot, I could pull out Google Maps. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, but I pretty much went all up along the coast, uh, all the way up to Maine. Acadia National Park was what brought me all the way up to Maine. Um, so, I mean, just all of the states along the coast there. I love the Northeast. Um, I just spend a lot of time in New Jersey, which people mm. are going to be like, how dare you say you <laughs> love the Northeast and then tell us you <laughs> But I was at the Pine Barrens and I have been to Virginia and D.C. and uh, New York. And um, I wanted to visit the oldest state park and America's number one state park. So the oldest state park is Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah. It's, old, it's like the very first state park ever. And then the number one state park in the country was, uh, I think it was in 2018, it was Letchworth. Oh. Letchworth is in, I think, like northwest New York, upstate New York. <clears throat> it is gorgeous. I've never seen chipmunks before. Oh. 
and they were all over the place. And I was like, what are these little creatures running around on the woods? Because we had just had like fox squirrels and, you know, squirrels here and to see all the different wildlife up there. Um, yeah, I want to know, like, what, what trees would you, in your classes and all the things that you took, were there anybody who told you, you absolutely cannot climb these trees ever because of reasons that there's just, it's just impossible, like... I guess a persimmon tree, you probably wouldn't climb too much. Those branches would probably snap. But is there anything that I'll, I'm, here's an idea. Uh, in Florida, there is a tree called a manchineal tree. And you, if you touch it or mess with it in any shape, you can go blind and die. What? Like, yeah. They, they call it like little death apple tree is what Columbus called it. Uh, little... Manzanita de la Muerta, I think is what he called it. <laughs> little little apple of death. Yeah, and there's some videos on YouTube of people messing around with this tree, and uh, you can see the excruciating pain that they're in afterwards. Wow. And if you you can't sit underneath it when it rains, and yeah, because the le- it's so toxic. I had no it, idea that yeah, existed. Yeah, grows grows in these like marsh groves down in Florida, yeah. and they usually put little signs near every single tree saying like death like warning it's like a big red (laughs) sign with a skull on it oh my gosh yeah so i'm curious if in your your ecological dendrological studies if you got anything that was like do not mess with this or anything like that that you can recall Hmm. i mean before you climb a tree you should always do a safety check (laughs) um because you definitely should not climb a tree that there's a you know big old nest of wasps in so like, how could you tell that though when you, you have you get to up do there? you've got to do a 360 walk around of the tree you're supposed to assess its um its health you know like is there a, a lean to it or is there fungus growing on it that could mean that the wood is rotted um and you're also looking for things in the trees like beehives yeah um because there's Many people who have gotten into a tree and then been swarmed by wasps or bees or, oh my gosh, if you're in the tropics, bullet ants. Ooh. Really? Is that, yeah. in, is that in where you were in Panama? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't see any bullet ants, but those have um, kind of become notorious for being the most painful insect sting on the world, in the world. Wow. Yeah. Just one. No, thanks. Yeah. I don't think so. And if you're climbing and um, there's a nest up there in the trees and they start climbing down your rope... To be able to compose yourself enough to get down safely, because sometimes you have to switch gear for the rappelling. Um, you know, if you're something a little more advanced than just the stuff we do to take kids out, um, and you have to switch gear sometimes, and to be able to compose yourself to do that could be very challenging. Yeah. So. When you were down there in Panama, how long did you stay? I was there for about a month. A month. Yeah, I had a. It was a three week long program, but spent a little bit of time before and after to. Do some mountain exploring. Sure. And what <clears throat> what was life like down there? Mm. Like just the every day? Yeah. One, well, you mean like during the program what I was doing yeah. or kind of the culture there? Both. Uh, well, we were located kind of like on an island called Bocas del Toro. Mm-hmm. We had to take a taxi boat to get there. And it was this field station in the middle of the forest. And Were you giddy when you got there? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm gonna just picture you now, like okay. what the way you were behaving. No. Get this: when we got there, got on site to the field station, all of these termites had just spawned and they were flying everywhere. Oh, cool! And so they were landing on us, and this was, the, you know, for me and the other students, it's our first time here, and 
we didn't realize this was going to be something that would just poof go away within a day and so we were just trying to stay cool calm and collected you know because there was just bugs flying at your face everywhere inside of the little hut thing we were in um so that was a very memorable arrival um and then after like the day after there was just wings all over the ground <laughs> we oh wow we just sweep so they up. only stay alive for like a couple like a couple hours yeah Oh, yeah. I love getting to see things like that, like these little stints of monarch migrations or there's this like, what are they called? Hognose moths or something. And they fly in the millions and they just, yeah, yeah, moths. They just, (laughs) they really get annoying. But I could see how somebody arriving in Panama for the first time would be like, oh my God. Because I've had friends from like Nicaragua who tell me like the mosquitoes down there are like jet fighter pilots. You know, you they just come in, they're huge, and you just, you don't want to stay outside too long. So, mm-hmm. glad that you're a uh, flying swarm of, what were they? I think they were termites. Termites. Yeah. Flying termites. I think, I think termites do fly. Yeah, they do, and then they lose their wings. Those little antlion things that you see, the little triangle oh, things, so those cute. turn into flying creatures. They turn into flying yes, creatures. Yes, that's a larval stage. When they're down oh. inside that pit trying to eat ants, they're like this little... I don't know. It kind of looks like a bed bug, mm. um, it, but it's got like horns on the front and its neck can pop. And that's what makes those little spiral uh, divots in the ground. But then they, after they eat enough ants, they turn into this little flying thing and people are like, the heck is that thing? I'm like, oh, that's actually an ant line. They're like, no, it's not. I know what an ant line is. Like, it's actually, yeah, they turn into that. Do they so, have a different name then? I don't think so. No, it's still yeah. an ant lion, like not called midge. What do they call it? Like ant lion, still just an ant lion flyer they look like damselflies their wings go kind of backwards instead of sideways like a dragonfly but uh dude i'm i don't know why but i've seen enough survival tv shows where when i think about places like panama i'm like i just don't want to get eaten by the bugs like i just i couldn't imagine like tropic bug nightmares that i've seen on those survival shows so yeah we would go out on night walks um, with a group of probably like, I don't know, eight of us or something. And our professors lead in the pack and we all got our flashlights and we're walking really slowly and really quietly, just looking for life. And at night, you know, the jungle's just alive. And so everywhere you would look, especially with eight people looking, we were just finding all kinds of creatures that I'd wow. never seen. And I'm, I love bugs. I just think they're so cool. Of course, you know, the ones that look a little iffy won't give them their space, but just the variety of shapes and colors and all the spiders um one of the most mm, the biggest dangers as far as walking around in the jungle is the florida lance which what's that it's a snake and i think i think it kills the most people out of all the snakes in the world just because of its is uh, it a viper do you know i think it's a viper yeah um it's temperament it's not very um, like it's aggressive. It'll mm. actually kind of come after you if you get into its area, which a lot of snakes aren't that way. Um, and just it's sheer proximity to large numbers of people. Um, and they stay in, you know, sheds and we, I think I saw like, God, at least five of them during Whoa. the month. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, everywhere. So it's, like a, it's like rattlesnake down there. Yeah. Basically. And they blend in with the leaf litter oh, so geez. well. What color are they? They're different colors of brown. Um, yeah. and if they're in a patch of dead leaves they can look exactly like the leaves they're like copperheads here yeah Yeah, that's so cool to take that training from other things and apply it to new places that you go so for instance when you got there you know if some local native was like hey man you need to be careful for these snakes but you have this prior experience of like 
oh yeah, it's kind of like rattlesnakes and copperheads back at my place. And you've kind of gone through a little bit of that detection because I spot those copperheads from a mile away. I'm like, hey guys, stop, stop on the trail. Like right up there, look in that leaf right there. And they're like, whoa, how'd you see that? I'm like, I don't know. My brain is just, I just see it. Like coral snakes, all that stuff. So carrying that over, that awareness, I think it's just so memorable. And for those of you who are like, how do I practice that? Start trying to find weird things in your life. I'll give you an example of golf balls. Golf balls are freaking everywhere. Everywhere in the world, there are golf balls. Just tell yourself, I'm going to find a golf ball today. And you'd be really surprised while walking through the woods, you're going to find a golf ball. It's so strange, but you got to tell yourself, look for it, look for it, look for it. It's like animal tracking. I'm going to try so, that. Try it. I'm telling you. Okay, it's I'll work. report back. We'll have to have podcast number two to talk about the golf balls. <laughs> the, the golf ball hunt. It's a <laughs> yeah. golf ball scavenger hunt. But yeah, the the snakes down there, I would imagine. So there's that one. What is it called? The Fjord Day? Fl- Florida Lance. Florida Lance. Yeah. Florida Lance. Um, I'm hopefully going to have a, somebody on tomorrow who's a herpetologist Ooh. and veterinarian. And uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not Cord. Come on. His son. His son is a badass uh, herpetologist. Anyway. But yeah, I'm all curious about snakes of other places that can... Just live in the, I think it's fascinating that people try to bring things from other places and here to America. I'm like, could that snake live here? I'm like, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't need the tropics, hopefully. Florida's in a mess of chaos with all the nature that has exploded down there from the, you know, snakes and reticulated pythons and all that crap. So it's just like they're destroying everything in the Everglades because people think they want these things as pets and then they get out so but when you were down in panama dodging these snakes what other things were you seeing well as i said lots of insects um there is sloths no yes i loved seeing the sloths it's so interesting that they they come down from the trees i think once every i don't know like three to five days to poop and then they go straight back up a different tree Mm. Yeah, because apparently um, if they pooped in the tree, it would kind of lead predators to them. So they they come down to do their business and then they climb to a different tree so wow, that they can't it's genius. Isn't it? What, what kind of mammal is that? What is a sloth? Do you know? It's a mars... No, not... Is it marsupial? I think they have a Do they have pouch? a belly? A pouch? I want to say yes. I don't know. I feel ashamed for not knowing this. I've only seen one in life one time in like a pet store. It's oh, like, is it the one? Yeah, I know over what you're there talking on about. Yeah. And yeah, that one that's <laughs> yeah. like lived in the corner of that store. Yeah, I don't think it's for sale. <laughs> I don't think it's for sale. It just no. like lives there. It's yeah. it's one of their pets. But um, it I got to see it like eat in the way it's just like, uh, like it's amazing to see. Like I, I would be shoveling food in my mouth, but I guess if the energy conservation of yeah. my body, that's neat. And what were they, were they just everywhere? You just walked around, they were like, or where is it like, oh, we found one or. Not everywhere. You would still really have to look for yeah. them. Um, and there is particular species of trees that they preferred. Um, I want to sarcopina or something. I don't know. I would need to look it up. But um, yeah, so whenever you would see these particular trees, we'd always look for the sloths. Um, and yeah, I think maybe I saw just three or so um, when I was there. But it was so cool to just pull the binoculars out and, and watch it. But, you know, get... It's a little boring. Yeah. <laughs> they move so slowly. They do. It takes forever. Yeah. <clears throat> and what what other experiences down there did you have in Panama as far as like the class going? What were you you were learning? What were you learning? Um, I was learning rainforest canopy ecology. Uh, so specifically the things how 
animals relate to their environment. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's a primary focus on ecology, mm-hmm. all how it all blends together. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I was working on as a kind of student research project was to see how there is different species of ants on different heights of trees. Ah, exactly. Yeah, because okay. they'll kind of have their own little territories. Um, and it was fascinating just to see from tree to tree the different species of ants. And were they all different species or were they like different, you know, groups of the same species? I think they were different species. Yeah, different yeah. sizes and different colors and yeah. all that stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Man, ants are amazing to me. I want to have somebody on to just talk about ants all day. <laughs> there is a old saying that like if humans were like ants, we would have colonized like the entire universe already. Mm. Because there's just like this goal oriented it's like not individualistically driven it's just like we just need to get here and they all just right yeah. so if someone was like we just need to get off this planet we'd probably be like yeah. <laughs> just colonize everything yeah everyone has their jobs too it's like you do this you do this you do this yeah and, and it's so fascinating the way they like it's almost like they're born just DNA coded, sequenced up like a robot or something. How yeah. they know little drones and males and females, all that's so cool. When um, you got out of Panama, what did you? Where did you go from there? Um. Well, let's see. I had to finish school, um, yeah. and even though I'd felt very discouraged from academia, it was definitely one of those times where I was so close to getting my degree. I was like, "Well, I have to I have to get mm. the degree now," even though. The reason why I initially wanted to get it does not apply anymore. So the last semester, two semesters were were a little tough, not feeling the um, the motivation to to see where that degree was gonna really take me. Um, but bioenvironmental science degree really gave me an appreciation for the state of the earth right now and how humans are impacting it, um, mostly negatively, and that is one of the drivers of me wanting to help the world and help people see that nature is something that should be protected. Yeah. So if nothing else, the degree has um, made me have more of a sense of urgency sure. in the things I want to do. And what do you want to do now? You're back in Austin. You told us that you want to put some roots down here now. And what are some next goals for you? So I feel very passionate about kind of like, Three different things, and I'm trying to figure out how to put all those together into a a way I can share. Um, One of them is natural movement. Mm -hmm. So if you think of the way our ancestors would have to move just to survive, getting back to that in today's society is more like the ideal of human fitness. So this is running, it's climbing, it's jumping, it's vaulting, it's balancing, it's carrying, it's lifting, it's throwing. Um just thinking of kids on a playscape, the things that they would do. They can, they can support their weight while hanging from a bar. They can jump up and over things like watching kids play is really the things that we as adults should be able to do as well. Um, so I feel inspired to help people come out of their, their negative mindset with working out, um, and doing it out of something that, is enjoyable mm-hmm. um, rather than something that they're doing just for the aesthetics of how their body looks to other people. Um, so that's something I'm really inspired about, natural movement. Uh, another thing is nature connection in general. So I had gotten a uh, certification in nature and forest therapy. Yeah. So if 
anyone's familiar with the term forest bathing, uh, which was based in Japan, it's basically, if you think of it on, in a literal sense, when you're outside, you're bathing in the phytochemicals that these plants are releasing, which now there's plenty of scientific studies that have been shown uh, to have all these beneficial um, impacts on the human body, as if we need science to tell us that. We know we feel good when we go yeah, outside. Exactly. Uh, but some people need the science. Um, so in a literal sense, that's what it is. But in a figurative sense, it's just the essence of the forest showing you what you need to know. Um, forest can be interchanged with nature. It doesn't have to be in a forest. But that deep connection um, is something that I've been very inspired by and searching for myself. And for the longest time, I thought if I went on, you know, a longer hike, um, if I spent more days out there without seeing a single person, um, if I took on, a, you know, bigger mountain, that I would find this nature connection. And it always just seemed very elusive. Um, like I would feel connected, but then I'd get in my car and then I wasn't. And um, I realized that nature connection is not about about spending a lot of time outside. It's about spending quality time outside where you deliberately create connections and more relationships with the beings that are out there. Yeah. Um, so not just the plants and the trees and the animals, but also the rocks and the river and the wind. And as I've been learning this, it just it, it's just something so like deep in my heart that says this is right. This is it. Yeah. And this is what the world needs. <clears throat> so natural movement, nature connection. And recently the, the concept of play, I think that people are just way too stressed out these days. And the instant you s become involved in a game, it's like everything just lights up, you know, and people, I feel like what's the, the saying of people get old, not because oh, they yeah. stop playing. Yeah, they get old. They they don't get old because they stopped playing games. They got, no, <laughs> they don't stop playing games because they got old. They got old because they stopped playing games. Yes. There, that was it. Um, and mm -hmm. I just, I feel like I have a natural ability to, to lead people in games. I just, I'm a very energetic, enthusiastic person. Um, and I would just love to share that with people and give adults permission. I feel like if... You have to kind of create this space for people um, to, f to feel like they can, you know, do something that mm, the average person might walk by and be like, that's weird. What is that person doing swinging from that tree like that? You know, that's a little odd. Um, but if you create the space where everyone's doing this, this weird, fun thing, then it's, yeah, it's not weird anymore. And then it, it gives them permission to experiment those things on their own terms as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, that's exactly what we want the kids at Natureversity doing all day is getting their bodies moving. And then, like you said, just the freedom to do that without judgment, mm -hmm. you know, because some kids aren't the fastest, you know, some kids aren't the strongest. Some kids aren't whatever it is that these games are, you know, trying to build them towards. But the fact that you're trying is like good you know, and you're, you're progressing. And so I, th I agree with you. I think a lot of adults are just not engaged in play. And because of that, you don't have a lot of happiness. You know, I think play is a very, and you know, what's weird about play is they say, uh, for you to learn something takes what is like a couple hundred repetitions maybe, but in play, it takes like up to like 12. Wow. Yeah. So when Never you, heard that. when you play, and learn 
it's very quick. You know, you, you've learned it very fast. Think about that. I mean, think about how fast you learn rules in a game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I can't step over that line. You know, can't throw the ball or can't reach over that line. Can't do any of these things in dodgeball. And you learn very quickly. So, and obviously this com, you know, concepts are not that complex, but yeah, I want more adults to do that. And with that being said, um, what, what are, what would you like to do with those three things? You know, what, what is an idea that you have that you could, um, or some ideas that you're thinking about having that you could place yourself into? Yeah, I've considered, um, starting some type of retreat where or like a weekend long go. thing because yeah. there's just so much there um that I, I don't know i can't offer all of those things and just like a, oh book me for an hour and but i'll help you play and move sure. but um but yeah like a weekend long and i was thinking like a adult summer camp you yes. know that they have that nostalgic feel um that's it yeah, and I also think that Austin is such a great place to do it because there's all of these companies that are moving in. Um, so also just getting, uh, you know, the, the company bonding, uh, team, team, what's it called? Team building. Yeah. That would be a really great application of that as yeah. well. And yeah, to get the employees de-stressed, they can get back to work. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, there's definitely something that you need. Uh, I don't know if it's like, what are those three chemicals that we all need like serotonin and dopamine oxytocin is that it i don't remember but i think those they all get released in a game Mm because if you think about it like there's sometimes hierarchy right and being like a team captain can give you that right that sense of leadership and then there's like team unity like working within your team is kind of like we have this common goal together and then if you're like the person who got the last kid out and everyone's carrying you on their shoulders right you feel like a hero and so games to me they meet all of those you know chemical releases Mm -hmm. you know obviously this sucks if you lose but um (laughs) it's still i feel an aspect of getting better right because when the kids lose i always i always hit them with this i'm like look the reason you're probably not doing as well is because you're probably not drinking enough water (laughs) <laughs> We've given you like five water breaks and you haven't drank any water. And I'm going to tell you this, when my race car is filled with gas and yours isn't, I'm going to smoke you. And they run over to their water bottle and they chug water. Oh and I God. talk about at the end of the day, I'm like, look, we're going to play this game tomorrow morning, but you got to be rested. You got to get a lot of sleep tonight. And they go home and they're like, mom, I got to go to bed at like eight, you know? <laughs> and like the parents are like, what is the deal with these kids? Like why? But we tell them these stories about how we as role models, like want to be. And it's important, you know, for them to know, like I need to good eat, eat a good breakfast in the morning. There's all these mm. concepts that I think we just overlook. And then, um, my, my friend Sam said it well with uh, the hundred dollar bill analogy. He's like, you got a hundred dollars when you wake up. He's like, but you didn't get a lot of sleep. So now you only got 80 bucks. He's like, you didn't eat breakfast. Now you get 70 bucks. You sat in traffic and stressed you out. Mm-hmm. You're down to 50 bucks. He's like, and now you expect to take that $50 and meet all the needs that you have for the day. But think about all that you just got taxed. Half of it is gone because mm-hmm. these things weren't met. So play, I think, personally, like whether it be games, you know, running around, um, like board games too, is so vital to us as humans because when I look at cats and dogs I'm like they're like old and they're still playing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know my cats still play she's 12 years old so yeah I can see where uh 
you would find um, a passion for all of those things mixing together. So there's a, what is it called? Like MoveNAT. Is that where you got your certification from? Yeah, MoveNAT. Um, it stands for Move Naturally. It's yeah. a natural movement. And there's like levels that you get certified in. Mm-hmm. And how does that work? Yeah, so I uh, I got through level two certification, and I I aspire to get to level three. Level three is significantly more challenging. Is that all there is? Three. There's three, but then there's also um, combatives uh, certification. What's that? Um, it's like fighting. Whoa. You know, because if you if you think about our ancient ancestors, like there oh, was some fighting too. Yeah. So that's a very primal, primal. thing. Exactly. Um, like fighting, that. and then there's another uh, like swimming certification. Um, <laughs> Can you do all these in Austin? No, uh, they they're all around the world. As far as when they have the certification events, yeah, I know um, my friend Neil went to like Southeast Asia to get his, like I, the Philippines or something oh, like cool. that. Oh, cool! I'm eyeball in Australia. They've got one uh, level three certification coming up in November, but I don't You're know. You're thinking about going? I am. I'm I'm thinking about going if you know if the finances fall into place before then, because you know sure. Australia is not one of the cheaper flights to to purchase, but yeah. um. But I've already decided that eventually I'd like to get the level three certification done. But this program is um, a very precise way to develop efficiency in the skills that humans have evolved to perform. Um, So at its most basic level, just getting up off the ground. I mean, you see a lot of, you know, as people age, they have more and more difficulty just moving from the floor to standing. Wow. Yeah. Um, so even just starting on things like that, like the hip mobility to be able to sit in different ways, because now we're sitting in these chairs and on these sofas when our ancestors were either deep squatting or sitting fully on the ground in different positions that stretch their hips and their legs. Brilliant. Yeah. So So, yeah, highly recommend yoga (laughs) y'all. Yeah. Or just like put your computer on the floor or at a standing desk. Interesting. There's those little things that can make a big difference. And, um, another thing that they really focus on is movement throughout the day i love this analogy of what what would happen if you just woke up in the morning and drank all of your water right when you woke up and then didn't drink anything for the rest of the day your your body would be like what the heck like this isn't yeah (laughs) this isn't we want a little bit throughout the day to keep the system moving and the body prefers movement in the same way you can't just chug all your fitness uh, for one hour that's and what you're saying. yeah in the very beginning of the day and then just say oh i'm good i don't need anything else for the rest of the day the body prefers to be doing low intensity exercise throughout the day a little bit but the thing is with the fitness industry that's not very sellable now mm. is it you can't sell movement throughout the day yeah because you're not at their facility or whatever exactly you have to yeah. be able to sell a one hour high intensity workout that's going to make yourself good for the rest of the day you don't got to do anything else but that's not what the human body prefers that's interesting yeah that i'm curious about that and how they go through i bet you they do that in that movement at course where they kind of dispel all the myths mm-hmm. around like exercise and nutrition and all that stuff that's so yeah. good well i'm curious about having you teach my, the staff at natureversity all that stuff because then we could teach that to the kids and we could have little move nat days maybe you can just come to natureversity and oh do a God. move nat yes. 
thing with us. We'll buy like a million oh my hay God. bales. And yes. Tree. There's a million trees so to climb excited. at Mary Moore, man. They're like <gasps> monkey trees. Like true. You could swing like from limb to limb to limb. It's really weird. Are they oaks? Yes. And they're nice. like low. Like I would say maybe the lowest branches are like four, but they're long. And they're like that ones that, oh. you know, outwards oh. in all different radiant directions. Yeah. I haven't been to Mary Moore in a while. It's really I nice. to go check it out again. Do some, uh, do some planning. Well, I would love it. And then you can kind of tailor it to, uh, you know, something for five and six year olds, something for like the middle-aged kids and then something for the teens. That's like extreme, like build your own obstacle course or something yeah. back there. I don't know. We have some private land, so we, don't, we won't build it in the park, but yeah, that would be exciting to have you come out and do that for us. Yeah, that, that. Would, I would be so thrilled because, you know, MoveNet's not super well known. So finding a, uh, a place to teach it i've already kind of looked into it but it's hard there's not mm-hmm. very many you know facilities that just have this space for for move net training but outdoors outdoors definitely yeah. the best and so also there's this um uh this concept of like pretty much spontaneous training outside you know mm. where you use what the environment has to offer oh yeah like in order to determine what you're doing and, yeah yeah exactly and that's much more that. yeah real world application right yeah it's like telling the kids all the time I'm like yeah just build a fort and like <laughs> move some giant logs all day yeah especially if you gotta you know put it in this one area where there aren't a lot of logs you're gonna be walking a lot and moving yeah and so. it's so much more satisfying to I don't have a workout that you actually do something like say you just stack some stones or something oh, but yeah. to actually instead of just you know at a, at a gym you go up to a dumbbell you pick it up you put it down you pick it up you put it down and then you put it back on the shelf yeah. and it's like that was wasted energy you could have built something really cool with your workout you know that's amazing to think about yeah. i never thought about that yeah <laughs> all Let the me, energy that i just expended yeah, at the gym exactly and I you could have been doing stuff and and working out at the same time um i heard i heard gym kind of fitness explained in this way and I think it's just so clever so you know that we got processed foods that are all like you know they're wrapped and they're like exactly 150 calories and um, you know exactly what it contains and it's made to be all perfect for you to eat well the fitness industry is processed fitness because you go to the gym and you've got this perfectly packaged weight that you know it's 25 pounds it's made for you to be able to hold it comfortably it's you know perfectly weighted on either side and so you get used to moving with these objects that don't really have very much carryover to real life. And when it comes down to you having to move a sofa or a TV, you're like, oh my God, this is so awkward. My body, like, I can't, I can't hold on to this because you've trained in, you know, one plane of motion up and down with the same apparatus, a dumbbell, you know, and that's not real life. Yeah, it's so So you should move with awkward things so that you're better at doing that. Yeah. I think that is right because I find that when I'm out, you know, building forts and doing stuff with the kids, like I think about that all the time actually is my muscle engagement. Like when I'm carrying something and I'm trying to balance something, we have this little activity where the kids have to take their throwing sticks and they have to find the exact middle of the throwing stick with just this point of their finger here and hold it. And it's so funny watching them be like, God, I've never like tried to balance a stick on my finger before and understand the concept of, balance points and then we start throwing them i'm like well where was the stick balancing from they're like oh the center near the center i was like so aim with the center and they're like oh and then they Uh start smashing these targets left and right because they're like how does a stick 
fly? Like, how does it, where's the trajectory leaving your hand from and how does the mechanics work? So it's cool to, you know, get to see the kids use the same kind of um, approaches to all this stuff. Like, yeah, you shouldn't just be doing push-ups. Mm-hmm. you know, like you should be, I don't know, but they get so much exercise. They're wiped at the end of the day, these kids. So I'm, and I want to, I want to share some games with you that we've played and maybe this can give you a insight to how to just implement that. Cause some of these games are epic. I'm sure you've played games like, Oh God, what's that game called? Ultimate Frisbee. You ever played? Ultimate? Yeah. yeah. We yeah. play that at school That's with a, a ball. One. Oh yeah. It's just a ball. It's like this soft, <laughs> dodgeball and that way the kids can catch it because they're they're terrible at flicking the frisbee yeah um but with the older kids we'll try to get them to play a frisbee but they go nuts even the kids who are like i don't want to play games they're like yeah it's just catching and throwing and running down the <laughs> field and taking three steps and nobody can block me and they're like all sassy about it and <laughs> so i just know that play is universally yeah, I'll just say it like that. It, it is what we I would call a pure eternal truth, right? Like a pure universal truth. No matter who you are, where you're from, what your creed or religion or race or whatever is, you need these things, right? Water, shelter, food, play, mm. <laughs> community, love. Yeah. So that's what I would say is because it's one of those pure eternal truths, like we have to have it, y'all listening. So y'all hear this, go out inside and play. Get off this podcast yeah. right now. Turn it off. <laughs> no, and I feel like play is a thing because it prepares the youth for the challenges of real life, right? Yeah. So if you think of like tigers, you know, yes. they're, they're they're cubs and they're they're you know play fighting so that whenever they're an adult, they can fight and get prey. Um, well, when you see kids playing on a playscape, like that's because there's still hunter gatherer yes. like preparation mode. Um, and then when we become an adult and we sit in a chair all the time, we're like, wait, well, wait, we should be doing the things that the kids are doing because now we're an adult. And that's what, that's the whole reason why we were playing in the first place Yeah, was to get our bodies ready to well, <laughs> support and, ourselves. And that's exactly why I don't stop the kids when they're like fighting, like in mm-hmm. playfulness, like when they're like wrestling and things like I let them wrestle like mm-hmm. at the, at the school, like they, I have, we have consent. We say, look, we're understanding what was about to happen here, but the parents show up and the kids are like signed out and they're wrestling on the ground and they don't have any problems with it because I'm like, they need this. Like, Mm. it's so good. Like, imagine me telling these two, you know, boys who are all rare, like, no, you can't do this. Like, they need to test their limits. They need to figure out where the other's limits are. Like, this is all healthy, you know, and we're not letting them punch each other and beat each other up, but they're grappling Grappling, like little, you know, MMA style stuff without the kicks and the punches. But it's so good for them. And they try to do it sometimes while climbing trees and they play games and they have grappling while climbing trees. Yeah. They're like, they're like keeping other kids out of the trees. Oh yeah. Like they're like, they're like, this is my tree. It's like King of the tree. Um, and they're doing all kinds of things, but it's so good. And you know, we had a couple of kids who they just know, like they couldn't win. They couldn't see themselves winning. It was just no chance at all. And eventually we got them into these games and now they're like one of the kids is like up in the tree, keeping other kids out. And so you see the growth and you see the progression and you see the benefit that they are happier. 
mm-hmm. right? Because they're able to participate. They don't, they, they like, some of them are like, yeah, we'll watch on the sideline for a little bit. But once they get that figuring out, this is how to play, this is how I can win, and they're in it, man, it feels so good. It's just like when you're climbing those trees and you're like watching everybody else up there, you're like, I can't wait for my moment. You're mm-hmm. all eager and you're putting on the equipment and doing all your stuff <laughs> and you finally get your opportunity and you're in it. So we just have to continue, I think, to inspire those around us to play with us. We have a game night at the school where mm. we literally just come here or they or anybody else's house. We just have a game night. We play <sighs> games. Like it can be body games. It can be board games. It could be, but yeah, I don't know if the, the staff, uh, I know sometimes they're like, nah, you know, but I'm like, guys, this is meaningful stuff. It is. You know, it's super play. Like it's good for us to bond and goof off. It's always just the starting of the playing, which can be a little bit rough. But once you start, then you, you're just in it and you find this flow state and it's beautiful. But yeah. for whatever reason, sometimes, you know, people just like, they're like, I don't want to play a game, you know, like, cause I guess, you know, maybe society has been like, no, oh, that's not important. You know, maybe you should be working on yourself or your career or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it can make you so much more productive. You know, if you're not weighted down by just all of the bad things and you actually make time in your schedule to, to do something that uplifts your spirit, you'll, you'll focus better. You'll be more creative. You'll be more a pleasure to be around. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think about like your, your situation. You're like, man, I really want to do this thing with play. And the first thing that comes to mind is that, uh, guy, Mr. Beast. Have you seen him? No. Oh God, this guy is crazy. Is so y'all, if y'all don't know who Mr. Beast is, he is like a YouTuber who does the most insane games that you can possibly imagine, and he films it. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. He rented out this whole like military compound, and was like, "Look, this is you know five hundred thousand square feet of building, you know forty acres of land, yada yada. We're gonna we got like a hundred people. We're gonna play tag." The last person who I tag is going to get $100,000. No. Yeah. And so he's just put together all these goofy things. Like, uh, yeah, look it up. It's hysterical. But all he's doing is playing games. That's it. It's all this guy wanted to do. And I think it was funny, uh, you know, when they interviewed him, he was saying, you know, my parents thought like, oh, yeah, eventually you got to give this up. Right. And he's like, no, like, I'm just going to keep playing games and making people, that. you know, have fun. And when you watch this contestants on there, they are just so enthralled to be involved in it. One of them is hysterical. It's going to sit who can sit on this toilet for the longest, but they slowly <laughs> like increase the angle of the <laughs> toilet forward. So you're like, <laughs> it's just hysterical. And they have to like, they have to like give them pets and try to hold the dog and like just all these things that they do in these games and um so that's what i would say you could do is bring these types of games outside and make it some kind of fun competition and when i was i was curious about his money i was like why the heck did he get hundreds of thousand dollars and he mm. in the story he talked about how he like took out these loans and i was like oh my god just to but the money came back because the the videos were so popular people wow. were really loving watching these goofy uh it was like What's that show where the little pop things happen when you red light, green light? What's that show? It's got a name. I can't think of what it's called. Mm. He played that in real life, and that was a sensation from Netflix. And when he took it to a real-life audience with a 1,000 players, it went viral. And that's what made him big wow. was he played this game that red light, green light, and when you f- wouldn't freeze, you would 
you would actually die in the show. But uh-huh. in this, it just popped and you were out of the game. So, <clears throat> yeah, I just want people all over the world playing each and every day and just bringing more joy to their lives. And, you know, play, too. When you're running around, I feel like destroying nature by, you know, lifting logs and doing things. You're kind of like inadvertently being a you know, like a beaver, you know, beavers move things in their environment and they create change. Not that you should go out and be destroying nature like beavers do, but you get what I'm, the sentiment from what I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh, what else, what else do you want to tell us? Hmm. Anything else you want to share with us? You're here in Austin. I'm so happy you're here. Are we going to get to hang out a lot? I think so. Yes. Good. Yeah. It's been so many years. How many, when did you leave? Like 2013? It's been almost like a decade, Alice. Wow. It's a long time. That's mind-blowing. It's a yeah. long time. How old are you now? I'm 29. Wow. Wow. Dang. <laughs> it hasn't been a decade then. So, but, because I was like, I think gosh, it, she, she's got to be like 32 or something I was around now. 21 when we were doing the survival and primitive skill internship. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because Lindsay was 21 somewhere around in there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's that was just, the timing of that was just so not, I mean, everything is right because, you know. Yeah, it is I, what it is. Yeah, it is what yeah. it is. But I definitely was, gosh, in a weird frame of mind at that time in my life, still doing lots of, you know, experiments. and. I get it. Um, yeah, okay. so I just we wasn't. all went through it. Yeah, but but regardless, the, the seed was planted back then and. Um, I had gone, when on my 2017 road trip, I was doing work trade along the way, um, exchanging, you know, work for room and board, and I ended up at this goat dairy in Northern California that was in a yoga ashram um, called Yananda, Ananda Village, and when I was there, there was a, like a karma yogi program, and every Tuesday, they would have the karma yogis play these nature connection games and they were the, some of the same games that I had played oh. with you. Yeah. And so I wasn't even part of the program, but I pretty much just hassled them until they would let me play. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so when I played those again there, I was like, wow, there is something to this. Mm-hmm. Like I love these more than the average person. <laughs> it is. It's really profound in the meaningfulness that you get from running around with a group of people in the same goal. I got to yeah. teach you this game called Jedi dodgeball. You're going to be like, it is the coolest game in the world. The kids just go nuts. Um, So I'm curious real quick before we end this, uh, what what was COVID like for you in the outdoor world? Like, you know, at Natureversity, we got closed down and things were like that. But did COVID impact anything that you were doing as far as like studies or trees or anything like that? Um, Well... When I was at A&M, that was in 2020, and everything, I think it was my last two semesters, during my second to last semester, everything went Close online and oh, shut yeah. down. Um, so there was a little bit of that, and just, you know, classes on Zoom, but... But you finished it, that, and you yeah, got it through? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. Um, but really, that, that was the only thing that really impeded me for a point in time. Yeah. Um, Where you're, you know, when you're in college, and you have, like, field labs and things like that. Did they stop oh. all of that stuff? Did everything halt? Like come yeah. to, really? I was in, Even outside? I was in organic chemistry and they were, it sucked. It was, <laughs> not, it was my last chemistry, but then it started going online. Um, oh and so they boy. were trying to do the uh, experiments 
through an online platform of like watch somebody do this experiment and it's just that completely defeats the purpose of hands-on like, learning i'll uh retract i'd like you to refund my money so i'll just go watch this on youtube thanks yeah seriously that's what i would feel like yeah it was it was crappy i mean fortunately organic chemistry wasn't something i was too keen on actually yeah. learning so <laughs> but that's still unfortunate that you had to do that so oh, now, for sure <clears throat> so are you uh you told me you're kind of on academia and does that mean like you're just you're gonna not do anything more you don't want to do anything more with school like master's degree or anything like that Mm -mm. unless I see at some point that it would really help further me in the things that I am passionate about but as far as now thinking of the things that I want to do and and give the community I don't think higher education is gonna do anything more and I've been I feel like I've been just collecting knowledge and education Mm. like all these certifications and I am perfectly qualified now to share my skills yes. and so I need to stop being like oh I'll be ready when I get another certification when I get another degree like I'm ready now yeah that's how I was too I did the same thing in my early 20s I just went around mm-hmm. and collecting certifications and doing all this stuff and then once I was around 30 I was like all right this is I'm ready yeah so yeah, yeah they say it takes about 10,000 hours to become good you know like a master at something is what mm-hmm. they say and i was like i've definitely spent ten thousand hours mm-hmm. outside and studying survival skills and travel and all that stuff oh, teaching yeah. it even more but uh well i'm so happy that you're back i'm so happy that you're here to do this um thank you so much mm-hmm. and yeah you want to leave anybody with a fun animal fact or a fun nature fact oh geez that's a curveball of a question Huh. Anything you weird? Anything? Anything weird that you learned? I know in your, there is. I mean, I already, I already told you the thing about the sloth poop. So well, I can't and what really blew my mind was when you told me that you, the the canopy stuff. I still am blown away by that. That we know more about the ocean in this in space than we do the tops of canopies of these trees. That is that's an yeah. amazingly mind boggling fact. <laughs> I just never would have thought that would be possible. That's the final frontier. Final frontier. All right. We can, um, we can I mean, leave it at that. I'm always amazed that there's more species of beetles than like all, pretty much all animals oh, different yeah. combined. Like there's a quote of God had an, uh, an, an ornament and an ordinate uh, love for beetles because the amount of beetles on this yeah. world, like different species. That's what I've read one time. There's like 3000 different species for every person. Yeah. So I'm like, what? Like, so every one of us, there's 3,000 different beetles on the planet that are, like, you know, unique like us. Like, so just like, wow. And, that's not, that's, and, and a lot of them are living in the trees that we don't know about yet. So it is really bizarre. Beetles in general, they blow my mind. That's billions and billions and billions of beetles. And the things that they do, yeah, the, the ones that we see all the time are those darkling ones. And they're always rolling poop. And the kids are like, the poop beetles. Yeah. And I just think it's so funny. <laughs> So We've got the poop sloths, not the poop beetles. The poop beetles. That's what we're going to end it on. <laughs> poop beetles. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that I was able to come on. Yeah. We'll do this again in a, probably six months or so. Hear about your adventures and what kind of move nat stuff you've created for the folks here in Austin to come out and experience. I got to hook you up with uh, Ellie Rome. She's been yeah. on here before. She would be into what you're doing, I'm sure. And then Christina Schooler, too. I'll have to introduce you to both to them. Cool. Lots All to right. be excited about. Thanks, everyone. Y'all take care. Bye, Allison. Bye.